the Major League University Developmental Podcast, educating and equipping athletes through the mental side of the game. Are you ready to take your game to the next level? What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Major League University Developmental Podcast. I'm your host, Austin Byler, and today, another very special guest, Jake Wiscursion. He's the founder of Zephyr Wellness Mental Health Foundation in Reno, Nevada, he was recently an amazing special guest speaker here at one of our last camps this past weekend, uh, somebody who's really made a huge impact in the mental health world, um, clinical therapist, done a lot of work with families, individuals, all the above using psychotherapy, uh, cogn- cognitive behavior therapy, and much more. He's been a huge uh, just influencer in that realm, and I think it's a, a great field to be in, and we're super excited to have you on the show, Jake. Welcome, man. Thanks, bro. I, um, I'm really honored that you and I have struck up this friendship. Um, for the listening audience, I, th- I think I'm going to give a little peek behind the curtain about how we met. So um, you, were, uh, you actually got paid to play baseball. Uh, I, I pay <laughs> to play baseball. And uh, in one of those leagues where you pay to play baseball at one of the local levels, I met a, a mutual friend of ours, Jared. And uh, Jared was able to connect us because uh jared and i became very good friends and then you decided to take off on this path and and found this uh, this school basically for for kids and and adolescents and whatnot and teaching them how to to play baseball which you know there's lots of schools across the country but i think yours has a, a unique edge because you focus so much on the mental aspect of the game, and I know everybody you know t- tries to integrate that, but but you're so into it, and I appreciate that so much. Um, and and you've continued to consult with me along the way, and it's been it's been a real honor to to be able to mentor you in that process. It's it's been really cool, and I'm I'm happy to be a a partner in it. Um, not only as a as a fan of baseball and and sports in general, but also obviously as a a mental health provider and a practitioner in a, a community like Reno in a state like Nevada, where we, we rank dead last in behavioral health provision, uh, anywhere we can get the message sent out is a, a good thing. And I just feel so blessed to be a part of this non-traditional approach to uh, mental health and, and maintaining one's own mental wellness, such as integrating it into kids' sports. So I, I appreciate it. I mean, as much as I think you think you're honored by having me, I'm honored by, by being a part of it. <laughs> I love it, man. No, I mean, it's seriously an honor to have you. As as you mentioned, Jared, great dude, amazing mutual friend of ours, kind of introduced us and, and got us together. And just the power of just being good to people, um, putting others first and, and being a good person in life is so huge. And I think just teaching these kids and equipping them with some tools that maybe we both wish we had back in the day when we were playing and going through the oh, absolutely throwing our helmet and crying in the dugout or whatever it may be. And I think just being able to introduce these tools and and hit on this at the camps and and kind of going into the college scenes and all the above, man, just bringing more awareness to it. I think it's a great thing to set you up for life and to have you as a mentor. It's really been huge for me, man. So thanks for coming on the show. And I'm excited to kind of get into some detail here of what you do, a little bit of the practical aspects of this, this whole deal. So um, yeah. first off, Jake, man, take us through your background. I know you, you, like you said, you paid to play baseball, but you've been in baseball for over 30 years in and out of it, still grinding it. And you just got a huge passion for baseball, man. So kind of tell us about your background and what led to the mental health field in general. So 
Uh, oh, man. Long story, a lot of twists and turns. I'm going to try not to bore the audience too much. But uh, born and raised in Reno, Nevada. I'm a fifth-generation Nevadan on my mom's side. I'm third-generation on my dad's side. And um, so, like, my roots go really deep. And I grew up... And I don't think my parents really recognized this at the time, so no fault of theirs. But I was really heavily picked on as a kid from like third grade through 12th. I was um, I was really heavily bullied or what, what we would call bullying. Now, we didn't, we didn't have the name for it back then, but um, I was picked on. I was teased. I was tormented. I was made fun of. I was physically uh, intimidated and bullied and got a lot of fights until I don't know. I didn't. I haven't thrown a punch since like seventh grade, which is, which is pretty cool. I'm, I'm 41 now for, for anybody who's curious. It is. And I, I plan to maintain it. Um, but, uh, I think none of that really led into where I am. So I, I endure all that. And, um, and I think in retrospect, I, I think the, the random person maybe viewing my life would say, well, that sucked. Like that, that wasn't any fun. No kids should have to go through that. Um, but what ended up happening out of it was this really cool blossoming in uh, adulthood and young adulthood. So I get into college and and I have no social skills as a result of the bullying. I don't I don't know how to talk to girls. I, I don't know how to talk to guys. I, I only identify with people who are older than me, like, you know, like way older than me, like full grown adults. Uh, but I'm, you know, 19 or whatever. And I ended up kind of fumbling my way through college Um did a lot of stuff, did a lot of activities, joined a fraternity, participated in student government, um, worked on campus, worked a bunch of jobs, like got, got pretty good grades and whatnot. But I, I was really just super awkward. And it took me until I was probably 27, 28 years old before I realized that I had this issue of like being able to like talk to people <laughs> and, um, and which is weird because my, my undergrad is in journalism and public relations. And so you'd think that like, I would be able to communicate and I couldn't, I was just super awkward and super insecure. And that came out in very weird ways, um, overconfidence in areas that, that I didn't, I shouldn't have been and, uh, and, and not confident in areas that I should have been. And so I was just all messed up and I went back to graduate school for, uh, for a degree in what I wanted to do, which was college student development. I ended up getting a, a master's degree in educational leadership for college um, administration. And what I wanted to do was, was work with college students. And that was, that was my goal. But along the way, I got bit by this counseling bug. Uh, cause I took a couple of courses in counseling because I figured if I'm going to be working with students, I want to, I want to at least like send them out a little bit better than when they walked in and not screw them up even more. <laughs> so, so I took a couple of counseling classes, but then I was hooked. So I graduated with that educational leadership degree, um, got a short live job at a local college, uh, that didn't last. And then I went to work for who, a guy who is now a very good friend of mine, who's a, who you've met and, and spoken with, uh, Christian Conti, who became my mentor. And I worked with him at his agency for about two years working in home with kids and, and stuff and, and teaching social skills in a very, very ironic twist. I was now in charge of teaching children social skills and it was in that job where I realized that all the bullying that I went through as a child was now applicable as an adult to the very children I was, I was interacting with and trying to, to teach and coach and mentor. So the, the switch kind of flipped and I went, man, I should really do counseling for a, for a living. I should, I should go back to school and get a, a, another degree. So I got a second master's degree, this one in counseling and, um, got a marriage and family therapy license and, um, 
long story short, now I, I co-own and I I'm the clinical director, I guess, chief clinical officer, I guess you could call me because I have a clinical director uh, called Zephyr Wellness in Reno, Nevada. And we're, uh, we're about four years in. We've got a couple locations. We're really well integrated into the community. And we, we do a lot of stuff that's non-traditional. We, we go into rural areas and we work with schools and, and businesses and governmental agencies and whatnot. And so it's, it's been a really cool journey to, to look back from this perspective now and see how like the, the past led to where I am and I wouldn't, I wouldn't forsake it or like change it at all, but man, it sure was rough. And so it's, I think it's an inspirational message to people who may be going through something right now where you're like, man, I don't know why I'm enduring what I'm enduring. Um, my message would be, you don't know where that lands. Just, just keep at it. And all things are temporary. Everything passes. And there's always value to whatever you go through in life that, um, for, for one reason or another, it all ends up making sense and it all ends up paying dividends on the, on the back end. And, and one of those big things was I was really invested in, in student government and learning about governance and seminal documents and that kind of thing. And I just spent the last couple of years on my licensing board. And again, I mentioned in Nevada, we're, we're pretty bad at mental health and a lot of it had to do with our laws. And so I, I, uh, I was pretty pleased and, and really humbled to be able to help change some of those laws recently. And, uh, I think Nevada's on, on the mend. I think we're really starting to come up because of a lot of those efforts. And, and it's neat to see how things weave together like that stuff that I, I learned in high school that I thought maybe was just interesting and would never actually apply. Then I turn around, and I'm like, holy cow, I'm in the legislature actually shepherding a bill forward that's going to help, you know, regular people <laughs> with their with their mental health issues and so forth. So that's the that's the nutshell version. Yeah, man, no, you're making a huge difference. I think just knowing like and hearing that message, as you say, like maybe an inspirational message for somebody out there who's going through an issue, who's going through a trouble, who's going through um, just a, a down season in their life. I think that knowing where you've come from and being able to relate to that, like even I can relate to that being in third grade and pinched by a friend of mine and my whole arm was purple and like, I didn't like it, but I didn't know how to say no. <laughs> I didn't know right, how to right. communicate no and, and go through that. So I just let him keep doing it for weeks. And my mom's like, what's going on? Like, are you getting bullied? Are you getting like beaten at school? What's going on? I'm like, Frank keeps pinching me and I don't know how to say no. Like, I don't know what to do about him. Too nice, I guess. I don't know. And you know, like, and as dudes, we're not allowed to stand up and say, you know, that hurts or I'm sad or you're you're making me upset because, you know, as as guys in American society, we're taught that we're not supposed to feel that kind of thing. And neurologically, uh, <laughs> you need to feel that and you need to acknowledge it, because if you don't, worse things happen. You get you get physiological problems, you bottle up your stress, um, you know, joints don't work anymore. It's it's really bad if you don't acknowledge your emotions. Exactly, man. They start to fester and build up inside of you and then they just unleash eventually. Like I like to think of it as like a Pokemon. You know, like it just keeps like like shaking, shaking, shaking and like a little Pikachu, I mean, and, and the next thing you know he just explodes in this lightning bowl and that's kinda how it <laughs> it's um, yeah, no, you're, you're spot on. That's a, that's a great metaphor. And I never considered that before. But um, that's exactly what happens with our emotional functioning. So if you're if you're stuffing things down, and you're not authentically feeling what you're supposed to feel. And when I say supposed to, I mean, neurologically, our brains are telling us something, and it has an adaptive function. And you can learn more about this. I, I have a podcast called Noggin Notes, and you can go listen to the, um, the, the emotional functioning series, probably circa December 2018 or so, but I go through all 10 emotions that we have in our brain. And 
um, they, they're so important because they're not there just because it, um, you know, society makes movies out of them. Like, like we don't, we don't write romance novels on our emotions and that's it. Like they're there to tell us a lesson about what the environment is doing. And if we don't pay heed to that, woe be it to us, uh, because we will end up with really bad situations where we stuff stuff down for so long that it comes out in bad ways like alcoholism and depression and anxiety disorders and uh, violence and, and uh, isolation and all sorts of stuff. Physical aspect of if you retain the, the neurochemical discharge that goes through your brain, like the cortisols and the adrenalines and, and, and all the chemicals that are excreted from your limbic system, if you don't flush those out in an appropriate way by acknowledging your emotions, tolerating them, discharging them, getting good exercise, eating healthy, talking to friends, you know, being healthy, um, they build up in your cells and quite, quite literally your mental anguish will become physical. So uh, maybe some people are listening who have like physiological ailments that they can't figure out from a medical perspective. Chances are pretty strong that you're, you're carrying some psychological distress. You're either, you know, worrying about stuff that you can't control or you're carrying somebody else's uh, garbage that's not yours to carry or whatever it is. And I would invite you to just let that stuff go. And, and as far as athletics goes, man, if you walk into the, the, the field of athletic competition and you don't have a clear head and you're not well centered because you're distracted by school or girlfriend or boyfriend or, uh, whatever it is, family matters, uh, man, there's so much stuff that can go on in a family, then you're not going to perform. And, and I think that's, often overlooked. Uh, and if it's not overlooked, it's, it's only paid lip service to by, by most, uh, people who play the games that they play. They're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Focus, right. Uh, pay attention, have a clear head. It's like, no, it's so much deeper than that, man. Oh, there's, it's way more. And like, like you said, there's people that'll give you like that baseline tip, but nobody really dives into the details or kind of shows you how, like, how do you breathe? How do you control your breath and be mindful and be in the present? And how do you acknowledge your emotions and let them go? And I think it directly correlates to sports and, and life and sports obviously set you up for life to experience a little bit of adversity and some failure and that fear and that anxiety that pulls you back every single day it seems like and just learning how to get through that is such a big key so how can these guys like on the field guys girls whoever's out there competing on the on the field um, how can they use some of these tools to maybe acknowledge the fear, acknowledge some stress that they're holding in their bodies and in their minds and kind of let that go and breathe it out? So I think the first thing that they need is to find an outlet. And, and that outlet should be a trusted, safe, secure outlet that's not going to judge them. And it can be as uh, small as an inanimate object like a diary or just um, – you know, uh, talking, talking into a, uh, a recorder, you know, something where you can just process your stuff. I mean, even daydreaming, walking, taking a walk, talking to God, you know, yelling at Lake Tahoe, whatever it has to be. That's just you by yourself. Um, that's, that's the lowest level. Now you can obviously level up to trusted friends and, and mentors and, um, excuse me. Um, you can, you can use family members, you know, if an aunt or an uncle is available because your parents are not available, something like that, that's great. 
ultimately you'd, you'd love to be able to have the kids trust their parents. That's not always the case. And that's, that's okay. That's just life. I'm, I'm not judging that. Uh, not everybody's comfortable going to their parents with their deepest, darkest secrets. But then on the high end, you can, you can hire somebody like me, who's a professional psychotherapist to, you know, bill your insurance and, you know, render a treatment plan and all that stuff. But ultimately what, what's necessary is you need an outlet and that outlet has to be trustworthy and ironclad and that's why I started with things like inanimate objects. The diary is never going to yell at you, you know, like Lake Tahoe is not going to yeah. yell back at you. God isn't going to judge you. I mean, well, I mean, depending on your religious <laughs> slant, uh, but, but typically like we think of like whatever your conception is of, of the mystical, of the, of the spiritual, of the divine, the divine is just there to absorb whatever energy you offload into it. So, um, if you can just know that, you know, going up on a mountaintop and screaming your lungs out because you're, you're frustrated and you're, and you're at your wits end, that's way better than some of the, the, the more toxic alternatives that, you know, kids and adults engage in these days from, uh, substance use all the way up to suicide. So we want to be able to get that stuff out. That's the first thing. And I think, I think following that is, well, what do you do once you've dumped, right? What do you, what do you do once you've had that cathartic release and catharsis is a, it's a, it's a psychological term. It comes from a guy named Carl Jung and it means a release of energy. So a release of emotional energy, uh, alternatively a cathexis is, uh, is a stuck energy. So you don't want to be going catharsis, cathexis, catharsis, cathexis. Like you don't want to be going stuck and then release and stuck and then release in this big like roller coaster. You want to just kind of be very even keel where things are flowing. You can you can feel things and then you can let them go and, and they're not like building up, right? So, but let's pretend you have this catharsis, you have this cathartic moment, you you drive up in the mountains or whatever and you, you know, you, you, you scream and then you let it all out and you cry and then and then you're good. Well, how do you maintain that? And I think the answer is learning to acknowledge what's going on within your own body and your own brain neurologically. So what are the emotions that you're feeling and how do you feel them and why do you feel them? Are they legit? Should you hang on to them? Should you do something with them? Should you just discard them? Well, that's a practice and that takes a little time. But then beyond that, if you can just be authentic and acknowledge like, hey, I'm, I'm disappointed right now because I'm in an 0 for 12. Like this sucks. Like I've gone, I've gone three games. I haven't even made contact with the ball. Uh, I got one walk. That's a positive, but but I wasn't confident when I was doing it. <laughs> like like you're really in the dumps. And oh, by the way, there's uh, midterms coming up, and um, my girlfriend just dumped me. And like like there's a lot of stuff stacking up, right? Um, that could use a cathartic release. Um, but then if you return to that, say six months pass, you're you're moved out of spring ball, you're in a fall ball, and you go through a similar situation. You got to recognize that you're going through it again and go, hey, I've been here before. I can acknowledge this. I can acknowledge it's it currently sucks. And just like the last time, this one will also not be permanent. So then, therefore, you move yourself into a place of of non-attachment where you can you can embrace things and be like, yeah, this is this is happening. This is me. This is my stuff. I'm, I'm not enjoying it. And it's not permanent. And it's not the end of the world. Uh, I'm, I'm only 14 or I'm 16 or whatever. There's more life to live. Uh, I got through the last time I'll get through this time. So, so now you're not, you're not like sticking the energy inside of you. You're not, you're not building up that emotional energy to have to blow your top again. You're just like, yeah, it's, it's whatever, man. Like, like, okay, I'm, I'm a little down. I'm, I'm hitting another O for 15, but I also know that slumps end. And then when you come out of the slump and this is really key, 
you don't go straight into that high and go, ah, I've gone seven from my last nine at the plate and, and I'm top, I'm on top of the world and we're heading to the playoffs. And like I can't be beat. Well, that'll end too. And that, I think that's key. I think a lot of kids in particular, but adults also tend to embrace their successes as though they're like never going to end. And then they're crushed when they do. So learning how to manage the, the, the temporary nature of all things in life is really key. And, and I'm not talking like we should all just become hippies and like discard value to, <laughs> to things like you want to embrace, you want to embrace every magical moment and live it up for what it is. Um, but also hold it loosely knowing that, uh, it will pass. And that's a good thing because behind that great moment, there's another one coming. And if you hold on too long to the great moment, you might miss the next one. So I, I don't know. I could talk forever about this stuff, but I want to pause and let you give some feedback. <laughs> no, man. I love what you just said, that if you relish in that moment for too long, you may miss the next best moment of your life. Like You never know when that next opportunity is going to arise, whether it's on a baseball field or in the field of life. And wherever you're at, whatever position you're at right now, like there's always an opportunity to grow. There's always an opportunity to get better and to learn and to to be influenced by mentors and, and just good people in the world. And I think like something as athletes, like we get in those slumps and it's the end of the world and we're taking it out on our family and our girlfriends and our friends and we're not responding to people and whatever it may be. And we just, we feel so bad. And then we start raking for a couple of days and it's like, we're on this permanent high that like nobody can pull us down. We're the best player in the world. And it's like, how do you find that happy medium? So for me, like, kind of just a few things that I started to do that really helped me get in that mindfulness and stay in the present was one, a little gratitude journal and just writing down three to five things every morning, you know, just like that you're grateful for. And it's just something that, like you said, it's not going to yell at you. It's not going to tell you you suck or you're ugly or you're not good enough. It's something there for you to write something down and that you're grateful for. And just acknowledging that first thing in the morning, setting your mind in a good place was key for me. And then two, meditation meditation and visualization being able to mm. slow down the breath recognize it i mean i went into the dental office today and by the way my girlfriend's in dental school so she actually worked on me today gave me a little cleaning and um, my congratulations pulse. to her and you for getting free dental work amen to that amen to that playing the cards and so basically like i go in there and my pulse was a 43 and i was like, like resting and i was like oh my gosh is that like too low is like, that this or like lance that? armstrong territory Dude, it was insane. And I went in and like I was like, I'm going to look this up on Google because Google never lies, right? Like Google they has all the answers. And I looked it up and it's like average 60 to 100, but high performing professional athletes, like the best of the best are usually around 40. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is crazy. Why didn't I do this in high school? Why didn't I do this throughout all of college? And then why did I stop doing this in professional baseball after it showed to be successful? So it's like, for me, it's like, I will never miss those two things. I will make sure that they stay consistent in my life. And obviously with God, like getting right with him in the morning, getting in the good word and and just settling your thoughts in a good position early on is huge. And I think that's awesome that you mentioned that, man. So going into that, we can acknowledge our thoughts. We can go on the top of the mountain, yell out whatever we want to yell. But how do we become aware of our thoughts and aware of the, uh, maybe the situations or the the triggers in our life that continue to pull us and hold us back. So there's another answer coming out of my mouth that people aren't going to want to hear, which is it takes practice. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and it takes a habit. There's a, 
uh, I'm going to bird walk this a little bit uh, tangentially, and then I'll bring it back. There's a guy named William Glasser in our field who's who's a pretty big name. He he died a few years back, but he he wrote a lot. And one of the he, one of the books he wrote was called Positive Addiction, and the idea of a positive addiction is that you have a lot of the same components of uh, a regular old negative addiction, like you need to do it every day. It's almost compulsory. Uh, if you don't do it, you feel bad, except it's time limited to usually less than a couple hours. And it brings you beneficial uh, gain to your life. So like if you go running every morning, for example, you run for uh, two miles or whatever. And I don't want to make it too big for our listening audience. So like, I think that like, I got to run 12 miles or no, you don't like let, just, let just run 30, 30 minutes or, <laughs> or, you, or you walk. I mean, I see people around my neighborhood who are like well into their seventies walking every day, every day, every day. It's just their, it's just their thing. It's, it's snowing out. There's like two inches of snow on the ground. It's six in the morning. I'm like, like the sun's not even up yet. My headlights pick them up. And I was like, what are you doing out in the snow? It's like, well, they're addicted to their their exercise routine because it brings them great benefit. Um, they have the same, I, I guess you'd say, quote unquote, withdrawal effects if they don't do it, but it's a positive addiction. And that's a pattern that they built in over time that has helped them. And what you've touched on with the meditation and the prayer and uh, and we can do this with anything, gym workouts, exercise, um, any good habit, uh, hitting off a tee, even though you're, you know, you might be well advanced and you don't need tee work, you need tee work, <laughs> just like you need bullpen work, just like you need to be mindful of where your arm position is when you release the ball. Like, like we want to be conscientious about those things. And, and that's, this is where I'm bringing it back. So you want to notice and be aware of stuff that happens. So your question is, um, how do you become aware of your thoughts? Well, you have to practice it and you have to make it an intentional, purposeful effort to notice, not judge, not succumb to, not um, fall into unconscious patterns, but just simply notice. So if, if for example, we'll take a what, what most people would consider a bad habit, which is like lusting, uh, lusting after uh, other people. So let's let's pretend you're you're single. Or you're in a committed relationship, doesn't matter. But you you find yourself having these lustful thoughts, uh, and and we all do this because we're all fairly you know sexual creatures and we want to procreate and so forth. So um, I don't think I'm saying anything that's like too striking. But if you just simply notice it and you don't give in, you don't like start following that that rabbit hole where you start fantasizing. Um, and you also don't just deny that as part of you. You're like, oh, that's not me. That's bad. No, no. Uh, church said it was bad. My parents said, don't think like that. Bad, bad, bad. And you're slapping yourself on the hand. Um, if you simply notice it, you observe it, you just kind of remark on it. You're like, oh, that thing happened. Oh, that, that thought went through my head about lustful thoughts. Okay. Now you you start to develop a pattern of simply noticing things and you can branch it out. So I just picked lustful thoughts because it's it tends to to stimulate people because they're like, whoa, what's this guy talking about lustful thoughts? I was tuning into a baseball podcast, but let's bring it down to something else. Like, I don't think I'm going to hit this pitcher or wow. I've heard about this guy. He throws really hard or I've heard about this guy. He hits really hard or wow. This team has a great record. Just notice those things, notice them. And then you don't become 
subject to them. They don't rule you. You then rule them. And you can do that for math tests. You can do it for uh, difficult literature. You can do it for um, traffic when you're when you're driving out on the street and you're like, oh, man, I hate to make this drive across town. Just notice that that thought went through your head like, well, why do I hate to make this drive across town? Is it so bad? Uh, what about it makes it bad? Does it have to be bad or is it just a thing like, yeah, I'm going to hit 17 stoplights on my normal 15 minute drive and it'll turn it into a 26 minute drive. Like that's just a thing. And if you don't judge it, if you don't get emotionally charged up about it, you then stay in charge of your behaviors, your decision making. You don't have to fall victim to your thoughts. You don't have to suddenly find yourself acting out of a place that you thought you had control, but you don't anymore. So um, that's, again, a long-winded answer, but it's a way of saying, start with the small things. Start by noticing something you want to change and don't judge it. Don't even act on it. Just notice it. Notice when it goes through your head. You're like, oh, interesting. I noticed those clouds. Oh, I noticed that my breath is speeding up. I noticed that my heart is pounding. Um, don't even try to make sense of it. And then later after you, after you notice a bunch of stuff very neutrally and, and in a non, non-attached, non-judgmental way, you can start making sense of it. Sorry. Well, where did my, my heartbeat come from? Well, I did drink three Red Bulls today. <laughs> like maybe that's part <laughs> of it. Uh, why, why is my breath, uh, short? Well, I, I walked through the, the halls and there was a girl that I crushed on and she smiled at me. Like, like you can notice those things. You don't have to necessarily like uh, act out of them. You don't have to behave on them. You don't have to make a decision out of that, out of that moment, because in that moment, when that thought triggers something in you, it triggers something emotional. And when we act out of emotion, often we do things we regret, including, um, you know, make commitments or, uh, you know, make bad decisions on whether or not we fake an illness or, you know, (laughs) avoid school or skip practice or whatever it is. Yeah, no, you're spot on, man. Something I wrote down was uh, that you just said was notice it so you don't become subject to it. And that is so powerful. It's so simple and so powerful. And for me, simplicity is key. Like you can come at me with a million different terms and like psychological like terminology and I'm just going to be. Oh, and I will too. I will. Yeah, no, and you're good at it, man. I've never heard anybody speak like you, man. You and Dr. Christian Conti, you guys are freaking good, man. I'm impressed, and it's been awesome to just, like, even pick your guys' brain for a couple conversations, you know? And now, like, noticing it so you don't become subject to it, you're you're bringing that awareness to it. And for the viewers out there, for any athletes or even parents trying to give this tip to your athletes, coaches trying to address this to your team, maybe you're struggling with a, a bunch of guys showing emotions or you don't know how to control them or whatever it may be. And you start to make them aware that these thoughts are natural, like they're normal. It's not, Absolutely. you're not just yeah. weird or you're not like you're the, the monomaly, you know, like you are just like everybody else experiencing the same type of thoughts and it's the ones who don't bring that negative attention to these thoughts and i love how you mentioned like okay don't like ride the high but also don't like shame yourself for thinking anything like that because it is normal like it's okay and i think like you said earlier the masculinity of like especially with men hey i can't admit when i'm wrong or i can't admit if i'm sad or down and i do it a lot where i just hold these emotions in and they bottle up and the next thing you know i erupt for no reason over something so stupid like the dishes mm-hmm. or like something just little and oh just wait till you have kids man oh man it's gonna get crazy <laughs> They end up taking all your your displaced energy, and it's it's too it's super not fair to them. 
<laughs> they take they take the brutal beating there, man, verbally. <laughs> you know, uh, you you bring up a good point though about the. Uh, by the way, side note: if, if, if we've mentioned Christian Conti a couple of times, so if you go to um, check out his YouTube channel, it's really good. It's called it's just Doctor you know, Dr. Christian Conti, or his website is drchristianconti.com and it's C O N T E. But his YouTube channel is phenomenal, and he's got a, a video that he does a, a lot of videos, but one of the best ones he's ever done was a long time ago it was probably five or six years ago i want to say when he was first getting into it and um it's called anger management uh what is it called anger management techniques that work and uh, i think he even has an exclamation point on it um and it's it's less about anger management but more about personal control and so if you if you want to check that out it's it, you'll know it because you'll see you'll see him and he's wearing like a shirt and a tie, which he almost never does. Um, and, and you'll know that's the video is I think it's called anger management techniques that work and it's, it's really good. And it's very, very simple and very straightforward. It's like six and a half minutes long. So it's super digestible, but you're talking about, um, the, the parents and, and how to, uh, communicate to their kids, these, these tips and stuff. I think one thing that's often overlooked is that you have to model it. So you can't just preach at somebody, you have to be authentic and you have to be consistent yourself. And if you're just like barking at your, your athletes, if you're a coach or if you're just, um, telling your, your kids and your parent, like what to do and how to do it. And you yourself are not walking out. You just have no credibility there. So uh, the important thing is to start doing this stuff on your own and, and then you can find yourself in position to preach to others, so to speak. Yeah. I think that's a huge tip for anybody out there. You can't give to somebody else that you don't do yourself like you can't tell somebody to wake up at 5 a.m if you're not waking up at 5 a.m or if you're not mm -hmm. taking a cold shower in the morning or practice what you preach man it's, it's a simple term but it's a, it's a real term and i think it's it's truthful and you've got to set a good example for your kids and they're watching i mean the kids are watching everything and they they're so aware the right it's crazy yeah, how aware they are, man. I mean, like, even your son, I'm sure he's just, when he was out at the baseball field with us and he's hit, raking the ball off the tee, by the way, they, this dude's a stud. He's a so stud. much fun to watch. Oh, my gosh. And his little four-year-old voice. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Um, but if you can't tell, I'm smiling. And my voice probably changed. <laughs> but he was out there. And he says, Daddy, I'm hitting real baseball. He's only ever hit plastic balls with a plastic bat in the backyard. He goes, I'm hitting real baseballs with a real baseball bat on a real baseball field. It was so adorable. Gosh, it was it was it was fantastic. Oh man, that's that's like that's what life's all about, man. You can tell like the energy and how like that just lifted you up there just talking about your son and like how excited he was out there and to have that feeling and harness that feeling and be able to hopefully provide more opportunities for your kids to experience those feelings is so special and like it's it's amazing and I think we sometimes forget about it whether we're a coach or a parent or whatever it may be even players especially like we forget about why we do it we forget about the reasons we go out there every single day and our purpose behind our lives and our purpose behind each action that we take and it becomes monotonous and we get we get thrown down that spiral but I think like a big thing that one of my other mentors kind of just told me a long time ago in college was, hey, when you get to the field, get there and take 60 seconds to two minutes and just look around, like breathe in the environment, bring in the atmosphere, the, the lines, maybe the smell of the grass, like pick up something that you notice emotionally, physically, whatever it is, and just take it in because you're never going to get that moment back. And I can, I can mm. definitely attest to that where 
it helped me at least in the beginning where maybe you have a big series or a big game against a, a big opponent and it really calmed things down. It didn't cure everything, but it calmed things right. down to where I can now manage it and become more aware of my thoughts and ideally think better on the baseball field or less, like don't think, yeah, and become yeah. better as a hitter and a baseball player. Well, and I, and I think if we, if we can generalize that to more areas of our life where we can pause, slow down, and before we engage in whatever we're engaging in, and I know life goes a million miles an hour. Like I own a business with 20 employees. Like it's it's never it's never easy. And for some of you parents out there who may be listening who are in similar situations where you're just like, yeah, right, Jake, sure, turn it off, pause, whatever, ha-ha. It's like, no, <laughs> you always have 60 seconds. If you have an Instagram account, you've got 60 seconds because I know you're scrolling that at some point. Oh, <laughs> so maybe 60 minutes. Is, yeah, yeah, right. All you got to do is swap out a little bit of that time. It'll be, be a little more intentional, even if it's when you're, you know, taking a poop in the uh, in the bathroom, you know, like – just clear your head, reset, notice what's around you, and shift from an attitude of uh, frustration or anxiety or, or uh, negativity to appreciation. Like, it, we all, if, if you're listening to this podcast, man, you got internet. Like, that in and of itself is a blessing that a lot of people don't have. And I'm not a big fan of comparisons. I think, I think Teddy Roosevelt said it best when he said, comparison is a thief of joy. And, and when he said that, I believe what he was talking about was, it steals the joy of your own life when you're looking over your shoulder at somebody else. But that being said, we still get a chance to compare to people in, you know, the, the middle of Africa and war-torn countries in the Middle East. And, like, if you're listening to a podcast and you're considering tips about baseball and your own mental health, you got it pretty good if that's what you're considering. And it's time to recenter uh, more frequently throughout the day and just say, man, I, I really am in a good position. Even if you hate your job, even if your boss is terrible, even if you're working for unethical people, you're still in a good spot where you have the mental ability to make a decision on any given moment of any given day to choose differently. And, and I think that's just an incredibly powerful opportunity that we all often take for granted where we just fail to realize that we're not victims we are quite capable and we are in charge of our lives to you know make make different decisions and you know if you want to you want to leave your job and go get another one go do it go do it slowly you know like you don't have to do it overnight uh you got bills to pay and you know consider that stuff but it, but while you're there think about what else you can do to help others you know be a blessing to others and and uh, even again like i said even if you're working the the worst job in the world in your mind you're doing something of value if you're doing it for a meaning and purpose. And you know what? You get to decide that purpose. So athletes who are listening to this, you can reset yourself, not just on the baseball field, but, you know, in between classes or, um, you know, in between days, in between class and homework. When you come home, you settle and you take a snack and, and watch a little TV before you start your homework. Like that's your reset mechanism. And we all need that. And the more often we can do that, the better off we are. That is just such a huge piece of advice right there. Like, I can't even explain how big that is, and I wish I would have known that earlier on, especially having a reset mechanism. You and me both, man. You and me both. This didn't come overnight. <laughs> it's just something that's been practiced. Exactly. Just like you mentioned before, man, you got to practice it. You, you can you can build these habits, but you don't build the habit unless you practice that habit. And I think like it's very easy to do it for a day or two days or a week, even a couple weeks, but... 
a month. Um, it's even like the gym. You'll go to the gym and you'll see the same person in there for one week. Say you go at 6 a.m. Um, for me, like at my work, I go in around 6 a.m. And I see, used to see the same two or three people for about a week. And then it started to be maybe once or twice a week. And then now I just never see them. <laughs> and it's it's these little habits that you just continually build up. And they either go up and, and bring you up 1% better every day. Or it brings you down 1%. And you never stay the same. You're constantly evolving and changing as a person, as a human. And the more value that you can bring to the people around you, the more it's going to come back your way. And that law of attraction in this world. Um, Jake, I, I want to be conscious of your time, man. I've got one more question to ask. Before I ask that question, go ahead and plug these guys in on where they can find you because your social media stuff is incredible and I learn something new every day. And It's simple, easy, digestible. Uh, so go ahead and plug these guys in, man. So Zephyr Wellness has a YouTube channel. It's uh, it's, it's got one me, uh, one me, one guy. It's me. <laughs> um, so uh, you can you can go to the Zephyr Wellness YouTube channel and, and I'm... I've been slacking lately because life's been kind of a blur, uh, but but I do want to commit to producing a, little, a few more videos more frequently and um, little tips and insights and whatnot. Anything I think I can offer people that will help them. Uh, so Zephyr Wellness YouTube channel. We also have an Instagram account, and you can go there. Um, we have a Twitter, but it's not really monitored. It's mostly just um, auto-posting, whatever I, I put on the website. But then ZephyrWellness.org is the website. And you can go to the ZephyrWellness.org website and check out what we do and what we're about and make an appointment if you're in the greater northern Nevada, northern California area. Come on in. We we take most people's insurances. Uh, and those that we don't take, uh, we can redirect you to one of our graduate practicum students who are doing their hours for grad school in order to become a licensed therapist. And I, uh, I oversee them. I mentor them. And I coach them. So, you know, you're getting good quality <laughs> if I can do my own horn. <laughs> um, but but that's that makes it uh, so we don't have to turn anybody away. We'll take anybody regardless of ability to pay or insurance coverage. And you can see a, a grad student for a, a nominal fee. It's like like the, the floor is five bucks and the ceiling is 30 bucks, which approximates the copay. And uh, what else? Um, yeah, that's it. Uh, ZephyrWellness.org and uh, the, the YouTube channel and um, noggin notes. I, I should probably plug noggin notes. We have a podcast and an app. The app is, uh, the, the 10 core emotions that I mentioned earlier. Uh, you open it up and it starts with a gratitude bar. Like Austin mentioned, that's, that's a super great way to start your day is if you, if you just log gratitude, something, something that you're, for which you're grateful. And, um, and it's it automatically re readjusts your attention to, to something positive. And then from there you, you, you know what you're feeling. And then you get a little more discreet feeling like, oh, I'm sad, but what kind of sad well, anguish, great anguish, uh, you know, death of my pet or whatever. And then you can log a note. And so it's literally a, a digital journal housed right there on your phone. It's all private. It's all secured in the cloud. Nobody sees it except you unless they, you know, have their, their phone, your phone. Um, and then there's a podcast associated with that by the same name, Noggin Notes. And you can get that on any platform, Android, Apple, whatever. Um, and you don't have to have one to have the other, but if you download the app, you get the podcast also. So there's that. And the podcast is weekly. I host it. Um, I think I'm cool. I think everything that comes out of my mouth is some really good stuff, but <laughs> I think I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're cool, Jake. I think you're an incredible human being, man. And, and you have such a good heart. And that's something I picked up on right away when I first met you was, 
this guy's got incredible heart. He's got so much wisdom inside of him, and, and he just needs that outlet to release it. And I've, ever since I've been listening to it, it's like, this stuff is fire, man. It's good. So, Jake, final question, man. Why is there still a mental health stigma? I know that it's not as much as it used to be, especially back in the day when you were getting bullied and other experiences have happened in people's lives. But still today, there's still a stigma on mental health and the ability to come out and be vulnerable. Why do you think that there's still a slight stigma and what is your mission to help continue to change that? Because you've done a dang good job so far. So we have another hour and a half, right? <laughs> we could talk for years, uh, man, honestly. Uh, geez. Uh, okay. So I think there's, uh, we have, we have a few prongs to address. So I already alluded a little bit to the, the policy initiatives that I've, I've been a part of lately. Um, changing laws, changing codes, um, changing policy, that kind of thing. So I see it, I see it in a few different stripes and I'm not, I don't know that I, this would make a really good podcast for myself now that I'm just thinking this out loud. I should probably write an article too. You Um, should definitely write a blog and we can guest post it on the channel all day, every day. But okay. So I don't, I don't know that I can distill it into just a few bullet points because I see a lot of stuff interweaving, but we'll start with Historically, um, mental illness was not understood because it was, um, it, well, it's not quantifiable and it's not uh, visible, right? So you could you could see somebody with a visible injury like, okay, their arm doesn't work and we, we can know to accommodate that person or at least treat them differently. Uh, sometimes people with bad arms also got made fun of for not being normal because people were weird about that. And that, that's fine. I'm thinking way historically, right? Uh, many, many hundred years ago or thousands. Well, mental illness doesn't present the same way. So human nature is to fear that which it doesn't understand instead of being curious about it and then investigating it and then gaining knowledge and then uh, becoming familiar with it. We tend to fear it. And out of that fear, we tend to compartmentalize. We set aside. It becomes us versus them. So those crazy people, you know, becomes the, 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 the language. And we have that competing. So for a long time, mental illness was um, uh, culturally disavowed, and um, and, it, and it wasn't it wasn't well attended to. And I know that you you follow Jesus, and I follow Jesus, and so Jesus was one of those people historically who said, "Don't judge people regardless of what they may look and act like, and just love them through it." And I think I think that's pretty radical. It's pretty counterculture. It's it's definitely counterculture now. Uh, but that was not the order of the day for, for thousands of years. And then you advance into modern society where we have television and movies where you, you'd have like horror flicks set in uh, the quote-unquote insane asylum. We didn't know what to do with these people, so we just locked them away. Well, simultaneously, a lot of these um, you know, locking away and um, branding of the, the, the Ill, ill-minded uh, were people who are trying to understand it, and they they formulated theories. Carl Jung is one person who I follow, who had a theory about what the mind is. And if you want to read more about him, you can. It's J U N G, Carl Jung. Um, so that helped to combat it, but it also helped give rise to the mental health profession about a hundred and twenty years ago or so. Sigmund Freud preceded him. Arthur Adler, uh, Alfred Adler, sorry. Um, and, uh, and then Carl Rogers and then uh, some other people came along and, and developed various you know, theories off that. So, so one element is just the societal misunderstanding of what the mind 
is. Is it a, is it, is it in your head? Is it your soul? Are you, you know, do you have a defective soul? Like there's, there's debates that rage about this kind of thing, the battle of good versus evil and how evil presents and whatnot. So, so that's one thing. Then overlaying that we have a more modern representation of stigma whereby we have language in our very laws that say that have words like mentally defective or adjudicated mentally defective. And those laws then beget consequences for people who have uh, maybe been involuntarily held in a psychiatric facility for evaluation. And, uh, and then we have a third layer still where the job application or the, the gun permit application, and this is another battle that I'm, I'm helping to fight, uh, where gun owners are stigmatized enough as it is, but also mental health professionals are stigmatized. And so the two, the two cultures, gun ownership and mental health, um, don't often see eye to eye. And what we have is a lot of people committing suicide through guns because they're gun owners and they don't want to go get help because they're afraid that the mental health professionals are going to somehow like turn to the government and say, Hey, this person's unstable, take their guns away. So the gun owners don't want their guns taken away. They're not seeking help. And then they're dying as a result of it. And that's, that's not okay. Like we need to solve that. So we're starting to have conversations about that, but we're having these applications for say gun permits or, uh, work or the department of defense is terrible at this. They're, they're absolutely awful. Um, they'll revoke, um, clearances for going and getting treatment for depression or PTSD. It's like this, the very same, uh, orders that sent the, the soldier or the airman or the Marine into the situation that gave them the PTSD. Now they come back and they, they have to get treatment for this, this condition for the things that they witnessed and saw. And the DOD is revoking their clearance. It's like, what are you doing? Like, we can't, we can't have this happen. Um, so there's all sorts of layers of stigma around this where people don't want to admit that they're struggling psychologically or emotionally and, and then they don't get help and then they get worse and then their families fall apart and then their children suffer and then people break up and, and they go to jail and they commit crimes, and they fall into addiction and they, they kill themselves. And it's like, it's just horrible because the stigma overlays all of this. And I think the one simple solution to de I hate the word destigmatizing because the, the D often gets overlooked by the brain and always sees the stigma. I'd prefer to say make mental health cool. But if we're going to destigmatize and make mental health cool, we, what we need to do is realize that it's all overcomable. And if you could see me, I'm pounding on the desk right now in front of me, but um, you can't see that because it's audio. <laughs> but like I'll clap my hands. We have to make people aware that mental health is something to be achieved. It's not mental illness in perpetuity. We can absolutely overcome this the same that we overcome physical illness. And if we don't have that concept in our heads, if we don't have that as an idea, then first of all, my profession ceases to exist because, okay, you fall mentally ill and then what? Like you, you just quit, you give up and you're just sick the rest of your life. That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but also it, it begets the idea that people are permanently broken and are irredeemable. And that's super isolating and judgmental. And it doesn't fit with any concept of humanity for the millions of years that humans have walked the earth. Uh, so I think the real easy combat, uh, uh, combat to this is say, look, you can fall sick and get well, full stop. Though, so, so we don't need to ask for your, uh, mental health history on a job application. 
Like that shouldn't even be a thing. It's it's professionally offensive to me that that that's still going on, and yet it is. It's like somehow you're you're deemed defective if you ever had treatment for some mental illness. Uh, we don't ask that about your knee surgery. Like, uh, can you can you stand and carry twenty five pounds, sir? You had ACL repair, you know, seven years ago. Like, um, that's inappropriate and it's really discriminatory. Uh, and that would never show up on a job application. But, you know, check the box if you've ever had mental health treatment before you can get a concealed carry permit to carry your firearms. Like, whoa, what? Why? <laughs> well, someone somewhere thinks that you're dangerous. Like, that's not a, that's not a reason to, to go reaching into somebody's uh, privacy and trying to plow through their files. And I, and I think the military needs to, needs to take the lead on this, quite frankly. They, the DOD needs to take charge and say, we're no longer interested in your mental health history when we're considering, you know, pilots, uh, you know, flying our jets. We just say, if you need help, go get it and come back when you're well. And then we get a well check sign off, just like we would with, um, you know, some other surgery or broken bone. So I could rage for, you know, an hour and a half about this, but I think if, if I'm going to do it justice, I, I, you know, I have to take, you know, five minutes or so and, and explain the backstory and where we are currently and the way that our policies and our laws are inhibiting people from getting the help that they need because it's, it's literally killing people and that's not okay with me. Um, that's, that's why, that's why the stigma exists because we have laws that, that perpetuate it. Hundred percent, man, and I think you're so right with the military needing to take the lead on this because, I mean, that's where a lot of this stuff has stemmed from for years, and I think that they have an opportunity to make a huge impact in this field and, and maybe just explore with some other, um, I want to say products, but uh, nutrients, whatever you want to say for them, like explore with different options, alternative medicines, I guess, to deal with mm -hmm. this type of uh, type of this depression and anxiety and fear and PTSD and all these different mental health diseases that are coming around. It seems like more prevalent than ever now, especially with social media and the, the quick attention spans and, and all of the above, man. You keep checking these boxes and it keeps just pulling people down. And what you're doing, Jake, is incredible. Your movement is unbelievable. Zephyr Wellness is making a difference in so many different people's lives. Um, whether it's a sport and an athlete or it's just a an everyday mom or dad or just a child in need looking for help, looking for somebody that wants to love them and, and give to them and care about them. And I think at the end of the day, people just want to be loved. They just want to be cared they for. They just want to be thought about and, and heard in some way or, or not. And having an opportunity to get in front of people, not just doing it through social media, but actually get in front of people and make the difference and connect with them on a human to human element is the absolute game changer. And the more that people like you and hopefully like myself in a way, and maybe more in the future too, and people in that realm can make more of a difference and get in person and change these people's lives and just keep kind of hitting that domino effect until we make this huge change, man. So Jake, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. This was a pleasure. I know a lot of people are going to love this. I love this. I learned a lot from you just in this short time, and we could probably talk for about seven hours about this. So next time I'm up in Reno, we're going to have to get together for a, at least a Sunday afternoon, man, and hang out and chop this thing up. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love you. I love everything you're doing. Um, and if you, you heard me allude to the, the guns and mental health thing, if you want to check it out, walkthetalkamerica.org. 
is uh, where you can learn more about that if people are if their ears perked up and they're like what what is this uh, walkthetalkamerica.org is is that website and in that foundation so thank you very 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 much i i um i, I really am humbled and honored to be a part of this and so uh thanks brother appreciate it absolutely jake thanks for coming on the show man Thank you for tuning in to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed. You can find more of these at MajorLeagueUniversity.com slash podcast or SoundCloud.com slash MajorLeagueUniversity. Check us out on Instagram at MajorLeagueUniversity. DM us. Let us know how we can improve any guests that you want to see and give us your feedback. Peace.